This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Kelly from Detroit, Michigan. And when I'm not changing diapers, and no, not mine, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's half-finished basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and today we're cleaning up that huge mess next to the washing machine, finally, and we're cleaning up your money issues with today's guest star, Kim Anderson. Also, we'll share headlines about mental tricks rich people use to make more money, throw out the Haven lifeline to a lucky caller, answer your mail, and don't worry, we're still going to have time to dive into some of my trivia. And now, because this show isn't yet a robo-podcast, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J! They're taking over everything, OG. Self-driving cars, and now podcast. Hello, everyone. I am Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. How <laughs> great that he already could be a robo dude, a robo announcer guy. Well, robo announcers aren't that creepy, are they? Hey, welcome to Monday at the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across this card table from me, I already referred to him once. He's the other guy, but we just call him OG. Doug's like the cyborg in Terminator 2. He looks like a normal person, and then his face melts off. And then you find out there's a whole different level behind and him. And he transforms into, like, all sorts of weird stuff. It, yeah, but weird stuff there versus Doug's weird stuff is a whole different thing. We don't have any weird stuff on this year's show, man. We got awesome stuff. Kim Anderson going to talk about getting your act together financially. How how It's about time, right? It's getting about time. together. It's It's Monday. That's what we do on a Monday. We get our stuff together. Or at least time we, to get it together. Or at least we talk about you getting your stuff together. We don't get our yes, stuff. Yes, we don't. No, we don't participate in that. <laughs> no, that's Those why we, who can't do teach. That's exactly it. But you know what we will do? We will tell you that back in the Stone Age OG before M1 Finance, investing your money on your own, that was intimidating, time-consuming, and expensive, those three things that we hate. You had to calculate and input every trade you want to make, and then you were hit with a commission every time you clicked a button. And by the way, forget about buying that one stock you wanted at a high share price. Thankfully, M1 Finance has completely changed the investing game, and you can now build and own a diversified investment portfolio made up of the stocks and exchange-traded funds that you pick. You basically tell M1 what you want to own, and then M1 automates your plan. It's incredibly easy and intuitive to build your portfolio and customize it to your liking. Then it's as easy to manage as a savings account. You simply deposit or withdraw money. M1 uses intelligent automation and fractional shares to invest every penny in the most efficient way. This is the comprehensive investing platform. What does it cost? 
Your first $1,000 in the platform is free, and they charge only 0.25% for all balances up to $100,000, and then 0.15% if you're over $100,000. But guess what? Right now, if you use the code STACKINGBENJAMINS when you use our link, stackybedjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash M one finance. And then, OG, you put in stacking Benjamins in the code. Guess what happens? You get the whole first year for free. So now when you set up that automatic savings of, let's say, $100, $200, $300, you're setting up that fund to start getting some money saved, right? Stackybedjamins.com forward slash M one finance. Take it for a test drive. And this show is also brought to you this week by Tiller. If you've ever been frustrated that the tool you're using to manage your money wasn't flexible enough, then you haven't met Tiller Money. Tiller is the only personal finance tool giving you complete control over how you manage your money. Tiller automatically pulls your latest spending and earnings transactions and account balances into a Google Sheet for you each day. So if you're that money nerd who loves knowing where every dollar is, but you don't like inputting all the stuff, and you also want to have some pre-made budget tools, Tiller has a bunch of them for you to choose from. There's even a Stacking Benjamins tool on Tiller. Tiller supports over 10,000 institutions so you can track your spending, measure progress on your budget, monitor your net worth, or build new reports for your own unique finance tracking needs without the fuss of logging into multiple sites or manually exporting data. As our own Kathleen Selmans, our business partner, said, Tiller money, it's like Google Sheets and Mint had a baby. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Tiller. That's T-I-L-L-E-R. Man, a great show today. Kim Anderson coming down to the basement, kicking off your week, stacking some Benjamin, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's headlines. First headline comes to us from CNBC. This written by Kathleen Elkins. Seven mental tricks rich people use to make more money. I want to ask you about these, OG, because... Uh, I, you know, we've talked about Kathleen Elkin's articles in the past, and most of the time I agree with what Kathleen writes. I want to get your take on this because back when I was a financial planner, I worked with some rich people. You work with some wealthy people. Let's, let's see how much these resonate. First of all, she says they tell themselves there's no shortage of money, even when they don't have enough, that there really is enough money out there. I just got to go get it. You can bite off on that one. Yeah. Just kind of falls into the same category as not having limiting beliefs, right? Like if it's a good enough idea, I can get capital for it. If it's a good enough business idea, I can get a loan, you know, whatever the case may be. Okay. I can, I can buy that. I had a client once that moved here from Turkey and within being here a month, they hired me and he said, Joe, I want to buy a job. And I thought that meant he wanted to get a job, right? So I hooked him up with somebody to help him create his resume. And he went and met with a person did his whole resume. And he said, I really like the resume person, Joe, but I don't think you understand. I want to buy a job. And I, and I, I said, and we went back and forth and I finally realized he wanted to start a business. And within three months of living here, he owned two UPS stores, not one, not two. So here's a guy who went from being a guy who had zero credit, didn't have any family in the United States, fresh immigrant from Turkey, knew nobody to owning two. And you know what I saw from him, OG? I saw that it was purely force of will. He didn't even have any money. This is the funny thing. He didn't have any money. He went out and he found investors. He's like, how do you go get an investor when you know nobody? He made it happen. He made it happen. He yep. And yet I meet with these other people who are talking about little incremental things. So I buy that one too, that in his head, there's enough. I just got to go yeah. find it. Yeah. Okay. The second thing Kathleen writes is they think of making money is a game. I personally do this one. I gamify making money. I think of it as as my my primary goal isn't to make more money, but making more money is a an indicator of how well my audience is buying me. Hmm. I hadn't thought about this before. I don't know that I've ever had anybody say that to me like, you know, that they're trying to trying to win the game of money or something like that. I don't know that I'm trying to win it. I just see it as a measuring stick. You know what I mean? I see it as a, so if I'm creating a business and I've created what, five different businesses, I would see the amount of money we've made as a measuring stick as to how well the, the business is doing, which sounds obvious to, to business owners, but it's not about just the money. It's about the health of the company and my ability to create value where there wasn't value before. Yeah. Okay. All right. They personify money and see it as a friend. 
I'm not, yeah. I'm not okay. down with that one. Okay. I, yeah. No. That's... Yeah. I don't see money as my friend or my enemy. Do you? No, it's a tool, right? It's a element. And maybe for you and I, because we've seen so much money flowing in and out of different people's hands, for me, the zeros have become irrelevant. Like I used to, I remember the first time somebody handed me a check when I was a financial planner for 30,000 bucks and said, invest this. And to me, I thought, I, I still remember the, the, the person that did this. I thought, holy $30,000 investing yeah. that at one time. And now it doesn't matter if it's 3,000, 30,000, 300,000. It's a number of zeros. You take care of the money regardless of how much it is because because it's the most important money to the person that's handing me the check. Well, and the principles associated with what you're saying here is that the principles associated with how to invest 3 million are very similar to those. Yes. Yeah. When yeah. you invest the yeah. 300,000. Yeah. Yeah. A slight yeah. difference in complexity, sure. of course. But, yeah. uh, but otherwise, otherwise, principled, principled. It's the same thing. I don't know what I'm trying to say. That Next thing. one is they block out fear. I do think rich people are better off. I, I don't know if I like the words block out. I don't know that they block out fear. I think they still feel the fear, but they know that they have to move forward where people that aren't millionaires let fear step in the way. I'm going to screw up the analogy that I've heard about fear, but um, I heard that uh, people have the same reaction to fear, right? Having wet pants, but being confident or having courage is doing what you would need to do just with wet pants. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's not that you don't feel fear or have the right. reaction associated with it. You just go, well, I can't, you know, I just have to keep going. I got to move forward, which leads into the next one that I also like. They tell themselves getting rich is natural. I have felt like people that are wealthy in my life are people that just expected to be wealthy. And it wasn't that they that they thought of more money as the thing they just had this expectation of a lifestyle that they were going to live, and the money was the driver to get them there. And so they just kept building until they got there. I'll give you an analogy on this one, that it's all between our ears. When I was a freshman in high school, I ran cross-country and track, and our girls' cross-country team was rated number one in the state of Michigan. We went to an invitational that had a bunch of teams, and our third-place runner, Joni, Joni out of the starting gate, somebody stepped on her foot and she lost her shoe and she was bleeding and she starts crying and she puts on her shoe and she starts running super fast. And here she is. The, imagine a crowd of 150 girls have already run and she's in dead last place and they want this meet because they want to keep their number one status in the state of Michigan and there's other good teams there. And she is freaking out and she's crying. So the race is three miles long. She's clearly going to finish near the back of the pack. And it's going to mess up everything, and they're probably not going to win this meet. She takes off running, and she runs super fast. And she passes people, and she passes people, and she passes people, until she gets right behind Kim. And guess which number runner Kim was on her team? Number two. Because Joni saw herself as the number three runner on her team. And our coach pointed that out right away. Like, Joni, isn't it funny that you're a great athlete, but you see yourself between your ears as the number three runner on this team. And when you weren't the number three runner, you went back and you did everything that was possible until you got to number three, and then you settled back in, and you finished exactly in the same spot you always were in. It was it was completely amazing, the power Interesting. of yeah. Yeah, something early in my life. And you see that with people, right? We end up where we think we should be. Well, sure. If you ask yourself really weird questions, you're going to get really weird answers. You know, yeah. if you expect yourself to be unhealthy and out of shape, you're going to do things that lend to your unhealthiness. Right. If you expect yourself to be financially independent and, and responsible with money, then you'll do those things, too. I don't know what happened with me this spring. I told myself this spring I don't I shouldn't be 205. I will tell you a switch changed in my head where I said I need to be 175 pounds. And that's what I am. And within three months, I was 175 pounds. And I know it's not that easy for everybody. I know that there are physical things that happen, but I'll tell you that for me, it was totally between my ears. So yeah. uh, a little foo-foo piece there, but but still good. I think I think money mindset is something we take for granted. Dr. Daniel Crosby, who we've had on the show, talks about that all the time, about uh, money mindset, man. But the second piece I have for you today, much more uh, hard-hitting, this one comes to us from Money this is by Elizabeth O'Brien. A new rule just made it harder for medical bills to mess up your credit. Amid all the recent fallout from the Equifax hack, there's actually one bit of good news last week about your credit report. New set of rules taking effect 
will make it harder for medical debt to hurt your ability to borrow money. The three credit reporting agencies now have to wait 180 days before putting an unpaid medical bill onto your credit report. And unpaid medical bills that later get paid by your insurance must be removed from your report rather than lingering and continuing to damage your score. Here's an issue that's been lingering for a lot of time for a lot of people. We've had John Alzheimer, guru for Credit Sesame, on the show in the past. And he said one of the biggest problems people have is with insurance, right? And insurance... They call them zombie debts, right? When you owe the pediatrician $82, you forget to pay it. and Or or you're disputing with your insurance company about who really should pay it. Yeah, absolutely. And then it hits your credit report, and now you can't get it off your credit report, even if, yeah, even if the insurance company pays later on. Yep. Yeah, this is great because a lot of times these are really small dollar amounts, right? So you've got that's destroying your credit. When to your point, it could be something that you're going through the insurance on, or it could be an honest mistake or whatever. It's not, it's not a symptom of, you know, your inability to pay debts, generally speaking, right? It's just how many times have you gone to the doctor or gone to the hospital? And then you get 17 different companies that send you invoices. When we had the baby, a year and a half ago, we got the bill from the hospital, bill from the anesthesiologist company, the bill from the, you know, from the uh, OBGYN, the bill from the nurse, all of them had different com- and the bill from the hospital. You know what I mean? It's hard to keep track of all those things. And this is a good step to make it so that you um, don't get unfairly. Dinged. Right. Yeah. It says until now, there was no grace period. Medical debt could appear on your report as soon as the bureaus received notice of any unpaid bills from a collection agency. So if a hospital has a, you know, somebody at the hospital has an itchy trigger finger, sends you to collections really quickly. Well, now you're, you're in trouble. That's problematic. It says here because medical offices can send unpaid bills to collections on their own schedule, whether it's just after 30 days, which I've seen 60 days or longer, while insurers may take longer than that to fully process claims. Here's the bad news though, OG. The new rules are not retroactive. The CEO of the trade group that represents the Credit Reporting Bureau says, however, that the companies have taken steps to remove medical bill collections that are less than 180 days old. Good stuff. The change is a result of a 2015 settlement between the New York Attorney General and the three credit reporting agencies. I'll link to these on the show notes. So I think the two things are, uh, number one, feeling like you deserve more money or you want to be rich. I think that starts between your ears. Number one. Yeah. Have a positive mindset. Absolutely. That's, that's not all you need to do, but that's definitely step one. And then number two is if you've had problems in the past with hospitals and medical debt, maybe it's time to go back and see if there's some negotiation wiggle room. It says these aren't retroactive, but it also says that the credit bureaus, especially now that the Equifax bad stuff's been happening, they might be more than willing to work with you. So excited. We're about to talk to Kim Anderson. Kim has a great website, thriftylittlemom.com. And man, is this site a whirlwind of fun and inspiration for people trying to be more thrifty in their life. Kim has a new book out called Live, Save, Spend, Repeat, The Life You Want with the Money You Have. And at 28 years old, she was trying to fight the credit card company over a fraudulent purchase and got so upset about the whole thing that she went to a cash-only lifestyle. Listen to this, OG. She paid off $93,000 mortgage debt on one income in under two years, then had twins, wrote a book. Kim Anderson's got nothing going on, which is why we're so happy that she's coming down to the basement to talk to us about getting thrifty and her story of changing to a lifestyle where you only spend the money you have. Talk about mindset change, OG. I think this is about to be a good one. Let's say hello to Kim Anderson coming down to the basement. You know her as a woman behind Thrifty Little Mom, but today she's here because she's got a new book out, Live, Save, Spend, Repeat. Kim Anderson joins us in the basement. Have a seat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm better now that you're here. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) So tell me, you were not at all where you wanted to be at age 25. Things weren't going at all. It seemed like your life, I, I wouldn't call it a train wreck. Would you call it a train wreck? No, I mean, to everybody else's standards, I'm sure my life looked pretty good. Like, I mean, my husband 
was in graduate school at Georgia Tech, and I was taking the nonprofit world by storm. I just remember one night my husband came home completely dejected. Like I could tell the moment he got in the door, he said, Kim, he's like, I don't know if I can keep this up. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because we had moved away from our family and everything we knew to go to Georgia for him to pursue his PhD. Where were you from originally? North Carolina. Gotcha. We were newlyweds, everything. And he just was like, Kim, he's like, I don't know that I can keep this up. But he said, I'm so torn. He's like, because everybody expects this of me, that I keep going because this is what I've decided that I'm going to do. And I said, why? Why would we continue to do this if this is what you know you're not supposed to do? And that was our first big pivot. So he had gotten his master's degree, which was great, but he was starting the PhD program. And he realized in that moment, he did not want to move to California where all the like tech companies would be. And he did not want to move to Boston. And he knew that those would be the two places he'd probably end up like when he got through with all this stuff for his career. And, you know, the expectations of the PhD program and tenure and like everything was just weighing so heavy on him. And he said, Kim, this is not the life I want. So he's he's spending a bunch of time thinking I'm 25 years old. My life is already going the wrong way. Right. And I can tell you he's not the first person that's thought that. Right, right. You know, it is one thing for people to be like, well, this major is just too hard. Like, I get that. Like, <laughs> sometimes majors are hard, but this wasn't that it was going to be too hard. It was that he recognized this was not where he wanted his life to go. And that was the first major pivot that we had in our lives where we said, you know what? Despite what everybody expects or what anybody's going to think of us, we know this isn't the right path and we're getting off this train. <laughs> It's so funny because a lot of financial books don't start here. So I was very surprised when you start off with that story. What's the point of starting with that story versus starting with Budget 101? Because the book that I wrote is really more about funding the life you want with the money that you have. And it's about strategically making life decisions to cause you to go in the way that you want to go and then putting your money behind those things. Because a lot of people, I think... Number one, they don't know how much money they have and they don't really know what they want out of life, right? So those are two major obstacles. (laughs) So when you figure out what you want out of life, what you really, really want, not what everybody expects of you, you know, not what you think you should be doing, what you really, really want, then you have to decide if the money that you have is going to get you where you want to be. And if you don't know how much you have going in and you don't know how much you have going out, then you can't do that. Like it's, you know, you're not going to be able to do it in a way that doesn't cause you stress. So this is about defining the life that you want based on where you want to be and what makes you happy and then figuring out how to put the funds that you have to work with behind that lifestyle. Yeah, I was thinking you said the book you wrote is, but that's the way, you know, life is that way too, where you start mm-hmm. off with what you want and then your money follows. But so, so how did that pivot change things for you, Kim? What did you guys do differently? Because he decided, did he drop out of the program? Yeah, he went and started working at a regular engineering job, worked his way up for that engineering company. I started working in another nonprofit job that I really, really liked. Everything was good. And then, you know, I got to where we moved out of the city, into the suburbs, got a house, did what everybody does. <laughs> you know, when you start getting money, and you're out of school. And my commute, because we lived in Atlanta at the time, was taking me two hours in the morning and two hours at night. And I was spending four hours of my day sitting in traffic with nothing to show for it. There was one afternoon I got home and my husband for like probably three or four weeks had been kind of bugging me and kind of making this joke about, I think you should quit your job. I think you should quit your job. You should be a stay-at-home wife. And in the back of my mind, I'd always roll my eyes because I was like, I can't do that. Like I have a four-year college degree. You know, I spent money on a college degree. I cannot stop what I'm doing because my commute sucks. Like I just can't do that. Like people are going to think I'm crazy. And so he just kept doing it. He kept messing with me about it. And I finally got really pissed, you know, in the way the wives get pissed at their husbands. And I said, you know what? What if I did? what if I quit my job? What would we do then? And he said, why don't we see if we can do it? And so that night we sat down and did our first budget together. Like he had, you know, done budgets on his end to make sure we weren't spending more than we should be spending here and there or whatever. But this was the first time that I made myself aware of what was going on our finances. And what we found out is that we would be okay. And because of that one decision, I went to my boss and was like, I'm going to be a stay home wife. And you know what? Nobody got it. I was 27 years old. Nobody understood what I was doing. They're like, why on earth would you do that? It doesn't make sense. But I knew deep down that this was the next best step for me. So, of course, not having a full-time day job and having like such a super entrepreneurial spirit about me, as soon as I stopped working, I was hustling, man. Like I was looking for any other way 
to find a way to make money that I enjoyed making money with. And so that was the second major pivot that we had where we said, how do we pivot our life in the direction we actually want to be and then put our money behind that? As you told that story, I'm thinking he said that's what he wanted and you got upset with him. But when you said you got upset with him, I thought that meant that, that you you kind of liked what you were doing, but you really wanted to stay at home. Did you not know that? And then no, and then as no. he said it and you found out you could do it, like you you then went, oh, yeah. Yeah, this it, is no, to me, like it wasn't a bad idea because the idea, you know, I think a lot of people think, okay, well, she's going to go be a stay-at-home wife and she's going to, you know, waste all of, like whatever. People, you know, people's opinions and expectations, whatever. Because people get a little bit funny about that sort of thing. It's not like it was in the 50s where women, you know, right. just kind of stay home and that's kind of the norm. Like it's less and less of a norm now to some degree. And so I felt like, you know, here I was with my four-year degree and I'm just throwing it out the window to stay at home. But that really wasn't my hangup. My hangup was I didn't think we could financially do it. Like, that's why I got upset um, was because I thought, you know, what are we going to do? Like, we're going to be barely making it if that's the way that it goes down. But yeah, I was excited about the idea to stay at home because of that thought that I would have more time to do, like to pursue things that I really wanted to pursue. But you know, there's a little bit of risk in that, right? Like if you don't think that you have the money in your head and then your spouse is like, yeah, you should, we should totally do this. You know, I I don't know. It just, it felt like in my heart, it was the right thing to do. (laughs) What, what did you have to cut out then? Because when you're working on the budget that had two incomes and then you go to one income, there's obviously some things have to go. What went in your family when you made that decision? (sighs) Starbucks was the first (laughs) thing to go. (laughs) Um, Target sprees. Um, just shopping in general, because I'm the spender. Okay. He's the saver. So it was all really, it was really always me that liked to spend the money. So I had to really shift some of my, you know, my money habits. But the the only time that it got really serious, like when things like shifted in a completely new direction was when we decided that we were not going to live with credit cards anymore. I got pissed off at the credit card company because I kept getting like fraudulent charges on my card. I was spending hours on the phone just trying to get money back for like a freaking like, you know, like a keyboard that was shipped to a spa in California and trying to explain to them like, no, I didn't do that. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I kept saying, you know, I kept saying, man, I'm having a fight to get my money back. But that was a misconception that I had because it was never my money. Right. Right. It was never my money. I was I was fighting to get the, the money that they would let me borrow back. And there was some sort of thing that snapped on the phone with a customer service worker one day. And I can remember telling the guy, I was like, I hope that you guys are recording this call for quality assurance. I was like, because, and I, and I always preface this. I, I said to him, I, under, I understand that you are just a customer service worker because this is not this person's problem. It's not their fault that this happened. But I was just at a breaking point and I said, you are supposed to protect me from this stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, this girl is going to go cash only. This is it. I'm done. I'm not going to spend any more time of my life on the phone with you fighting for this money. This is stupid. I'm so done. Got off the phone and I got my husband home from work and I'm like, I'm done. We got to do something else. You know, we started reading stuff by like Dave Ramsey, always, you know, that guy is always probably sort of the starting point for sure, <laughs> a right. lot of people. Absolutely. Went to the library, got his book, read the whole thing. I think my husband thought I was, you know, freaking crazy because he's the, you know, he's the saver and he's like, who are you and what have you done with my wife? But I'm telling you, man, something snapped and I believe that you can have those moments in your life where you make a complete turnaround. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And the only debt that we had was our mortgage. And so things got really tight about that point because we decided that we were going to pay off our mortgage as quickly as humanly possible because we didn't want any debt and we didn't want to owe anybody anything ever again. And so we just got, you know, into that amortization, we got into the amortization table online and we started like pumping those numbers in there to see what it would actually take. And then we knew what it would take. And we said, okay, with the money we have, we can pay off our mortgage in four years if we will put every ounce of everything we have behind it. And that was the time when I was like, I am ready to make some side hustle money. Like, I'm going to make as much money as I can on the side and I am going to save money on groceries. I'm going to do everything I can do to control this situation. I want to. And we. Yeah. Well, I actually want to stop right there for just all of our Stacky Benjamin's family, because that's an important point is that you saw the numbers first and the numbers got you excited. And whenever whenever we hear something over and over again. This is a recurring theme is that people go, well, I can't get excited about my money. Well, first you look at the numbers 
And then once you see, oh, I only have to do this, if I have to do this, then your brain starts working on how do I manifest that, right? How do I make it happen so that now I can pay off my mortgage or whatever it is that bill that I don't want to, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's what we did. That's and cool. We we made it happen in less than two years. Wow. Wow. And how many years did you have left on the mortgage? We had a really long way to go. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that is super exciting. I want to go through something. It's a really important part at the start of your book, which is about momentum, because it seems like both of these things in some ways came over the short term. They were momentum killers, but really over the long term, they helped you get more momentum because you were going where you wanted to go. Why is this thing about momentum keep showing up throughout your book? Why is that so important? Well, as a young person, I saw this pattern. And if you think about momentum, like if you think about dominoes, if you think about, you know, anything that you put energy behind and it gets moving, if it gets momentum, you know, it speeds up, it goes faster. You know what I mean? Like you can move forward. And so as a young adult, I remember my senior year of high school, my dad paid off his mortgage and that was a big deal. Even back then, he was able to pay for my college education because he paid off his mortgage. Therefore, when I got out of college, I had no debt. And there's this concept of like, pushing down. It's almost like my dad pushed down the first domino in my life. And that one domino created this effect and it gave me momentum for my own life. And then when my husband and I knocked out our mortgage, it was like, boom, like, what do you want to do now? Boom. What do you want to do now? And that is why I have this whole concept of momentum, because I want people to get into a mindset that if they can make really strategic decisions with their life and their money, they will get momentum and they will see more out of this one life they have to live than they ever imagined they could do because they just stopped for one minute in the mess and in the hustle and in the everyday cycle that they go through. And they said, what do I want? I want more. That's a great place to start. Let's talk about the five momentum killers you have in your book before we let you go. Uh, and just give me a sentence or two that you're thinking on each of these because I'm, yeah. I'm about out of time. But your first sure. one, which I love that you start with this one because everybody, everybody, this is the big one, folks. Fear. Yeah. I mean, there's there's always fear. There's going to be fear that, you know, you're going to have these thoughts that come into your head like you're never going to do this. You've never done this before. You're bad with money. You're terrible at math. Like whatever those thoughts are. When you get ready to pursue the things in life that you want with the money that you have, fear is always going to be there to say that you're not good enough and that you can't do it because you've never done it before. People's opinion and expectations. This is all about doing what people expect of you. You know how I talked about how it was really hard for us to make some of those big pivots because we were really more afraid of what people right. would say or think of us. Right, right. Number three is guilt. Guilt is about, you know... You feel guilty about expressing the big dreams that you have, saying no to people or stuff. You don't have freedom to spend when you can, and you feel guilty about all those things. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you feel like a pretender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when really you aren't. Number four is comparison. How's comparison, and I imagine it's comparing yourself to other people, how's, how's comparison yeah. different than people's opinions? It Comparison trips you up because you start to want what they have. Uh, that you don't have. So you go into somebody's like awesome garage and you see all their cool cars and you're like, dang it, like I'm saving money right now. I can't have that car. And they just got the car you've always wanted or something like that. Yeah. And then last, and I know so many people have this, a scarcity mindset. Yeah. There's two ways to look at this. So there's people who don't spend because they fear that they will never have enough, even though they do, because in their lifetime they've been without, or there are people who are overspend because they're scared that, you know, they, because they've been without in their lives. And so now they're like, I got to spend, got to spend, got to spend while I have it. I'm going to enjoy life, you know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the book is Live, Save, Spend, Repeat. It is awesome. It's it's not just full of stories. We told some stories today, Kim. Thank you very much for that, by the way. But it really is hands up. I mean, you get into the nuts and bolts of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we go into actually like making a budget, like a simple to follow budget. We talk about actually laying out the goals that you'll have for your life for year one, three, five, and 10, all those things. Awesome. And it's divided into the three parts and kind of what we started with at the beginning of the show, which is live your life first, right? Painting yourself that picture, then saving money and then spending money. That's, that's pretty cool that you laid it out that way. What was your thinking? Well, I mean, everybody's got to live. I mean, that's the, the main thing that I want everybody to walk away with this is living a life you want. Then in order to do that, you're going to have to save. But you also have to, at some point, be willing to spend. <laughs> right. 
and how you spend strategically and, and how you give yourself permission to spend on the things you actually have saved for and that whole idea. And in the end, being repeat is just understanding that this is a lifestyle that you can develop. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you before I let you go about what's going on over at Thrifty Little Mom, your awesome website. Yeah, I help women conquer their time, money, and goals over there on Thrifty Little Mom. So I write a lot about like how to fight for the goals that you have, how to make good time management, um, all those kind of things. You know, there's DIY stuff over there. It's, it's pretty much a thrifty lifestyle blog. So if you're looking for ways to enjoy the life that you have with the money that you have, you'll find lots of good stuff over there. Well, it's funny. I sneak over there sometimes. You know, people have called me thrifty before, Kim. They've never called <laughs> me little. Nobody's called me little and nobody's called me a mom. But uh, I think there's some guys that like that site too. So. Yeah. Do you want to know the secret behind that? No. <laughs> the secret by not being a mom? No, the secret behind the name of my website. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kidding me. Okay. So when I first started my blog, it was called Little Mommy Secrets. And I was really embarrassed about telling people the name of my blog until I realized that it sounded like an adult website. <laughs> so my brother-in-law helped me come up with that name off of the one that I previously had. And I really liked it. And I said, I'm going to go with this. <laughs> yeah, I bet you got some interesting searches. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks for hanging out. Oh, uh, where's the book available? Oh, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, and ChristianAudio.com, I think. <laughs> uh, awesome. You know what? We'll link to everywhere on our show notes at sure. StackyBenjamins.com. Thanks a ton, Kim, for hanging out with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hi, everyone. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and Joe's mom's cooking away in the kitchen. It's amazing, isn't it? All the modern conveniences we have in today's kitchen, like a dishwasher, a fondue pot, margarita mixers. The world's come a long way. Hey, here's a history question for you. What was the first ever ready-made mix to be sold commercially? Here's a clue. It was way back in 1889, and you can still get yourself some today. I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be dawning when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance for more. That's stackybenjamins.com. M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 Finance, be invested. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm back with the answer to today's state-of-the-art trivia question. The question was this, what was the first ever ready-made mix to be sold commercially? The answer, Aunt Jemima pancake flour was first sold in 1889 and was the first ever ready-made mix to be sold commercially. How about them pancakes, huh? See ya! Yeah, okay, there you go, Joe. Super short trivia, but I'm telling you, my fans' feathers are going to be ruffled. Thanks again to Kim Anderson for coming down to the basement. You know, OG, Kim's Kim's got it right. I mean, you, you know, she pivoted a couple times. Don't be afraid to, going back to what we talked about about rich people, don't be afraid to pivot. The biggest thing is, is continue to move forward. You can always change directions, but when you stop and you get kind of stuck in one spot, it's really hard to kind of get that momentum going again. And even if it turns out that you maybe not going on the exact trajectory that you're looking for, as long as you're moving forward, it's easy to kind of make small changes or adjustments along the way. Which is part of the reason for people that are in relationships, I really like this weekly money meeting, you know, because then you can continually make those small adjustments instead of having a big blowout meeting when things aren't going the way people expect. Yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting 
the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most. I just love that word disrupting. They're disrupting. disruptive. So what are those two things you value most, OG? Donuts? Uh, and I had a couple Egg McMuffins today. I have not had an Egg McMuffin in a long time. So I'd have to say two Egg McMuffins <laughs> is what I'm what I'm kind of into these days. How about your family and your time? What about that? Well, I had to eat them with my family, so. There you go. They were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high-quality, affordable-term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. Qualified healthy applicants, they can even skip the medical exam. Exam. You like how I called it the exam? Now that you're, you see, you got Egg McMuffin in my head. Mm, excellent. McDonald's, if you want to sponsor this podcast, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash McDonald's. I don't know. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. That's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and to learn about life insurance the modern way. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our brand new BFF, Alan. Say hello, Alan. Hey, Joe and Og, or is it Og? Anyway, was wondering what y'all thought about the rule of 72. Probably nothing, but I'll give it a shot. I bring it up because I was listening to PT Money's podcast and heard Dr. Daniel Crosby talking on it. He said that he was gearing all of his financial resources towards a certain amount, and then he would stop and put the resources towards other things like kids' college and house. I couldn't tell if he was talking about aiming high or just shooting for a number and relying on the rule of 72 compounding interest to do the rest. For example, if you needed $1 million in retirement and stopped investing with 300000 in retirement because you knew the rule of 72 would get you there with a long enough time horizon. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you. Is it Og or Og? It's uh, actually there's it's a I don't know. <laughs> it depends on whether you use the umlaut over the top. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, probably not. Hey, uh, the rule of 72, let me go into what this is just briefly, OG, before we turn this over to you. The 72 is this mathematical, magical number that if you take the interest rate you think you're going to get, you divide it into 72, that tells you how many years it's going to take your money to double. So as an example, let's say that you think you're going to get 8% on your money, 8% divided into 72, that means every nine years your money's going to double. So what's cool is it's not exact, but it lets you count on your fingers exactly, you know, every, every nine years going to double. So if I'm 49 years old right now, that means my number, my money's going to double again at 58 and again at 67 if I leave it alone and I get that set rate of return. So there's lots of factors in there that you're not going to get the same return every year, but it's a good starting point. So that's Alan's question is about what do we think about this mathematical magical number? OG? Well, I guess I would be a fool to say that I don't believe in it since it's since it's it's simply math. But how much but, does uh, it factor into your planning? Do you do what he's talking about where if the goal's a million, you stop at three hundred thousand with clients and then let seventy rule seventy two take over and hey, let's forget it? I guess that might be kind of saying the same thing just a different way as you know what they're saying on PT's podcast, which is you've got these different goals and they're gonna have different time frames and you only have a certain amount of dollars to save. So I guess by saying it that way, they're saying, well, now I'm, I'm thinking about this dollar that I'm saving as now this is college money and not retirement money, as opposed to saying, well, of the dollar, 50 cents is retirement, 50 cents is college. You know, they're just kind of earmarking periods of time associated with savings as opposed to, you know, kind of looking at it as a whole. I use this thing more as a, life lesson than as a planning tool, because, you know, uh, you look at it and you say, well, if I forego this savings for this year, we can start about thinking about like the, the profound impact of that over the next, you know, 30 years of your life. So, so if you say, well, I think I'm going to frivolously spend this $20,000 or I'm going to take, I only have 20,000 in my 401k. So why should I roll it over? It's from an old job. I'll just take it out and spend the money. Right. And then that's when we can look at that and go, oh, hold on a second. You're 40. That's not a $20,000 decision. That's a, you know, that's a $160,000 decision, right? That 20 is going to turn to 40. It's going to turn to 80. It's going to turn to 160 over the next 30 years. And so we can use it more as an illustrative tool, I think, to show the impacts of financial decisions as opposed to 
you know, uh, relying on it for really specific planning. Yeah, I think it. I think you're right. I think it's a great starting point uh, for people, and it illustrates something that's important that most people don't get, which is when you make a short-term decision, especially when you're well far away from the goal. But it, yeah, is, it doesn't seem like a big deal. You go, well, I'll, I'll be able to save that extra money later. A decision you make in your 20s can affect something in your 60s. You know, millions of dollars. Yeah, ripping that yeah. ripping that money out of your 401k. Ugly. Yeah. Thanks for the question. So I believe in it because uh, it's math. It is. It's good stuff. And I mean, play around with the rule of 72. I think it makes it it makes it really fun to take a look at uh, where you headed from here. Thanks a lot to Alan for the question. Guess what? Alan is uh, going to get one of these uh, shirts. I'm, I'm wearing one today. Check this out. The greatest money show on earth, the Stacking Benjamins and Haven Life t-shirt. We're going to send Alan a code to pick one up. If you're interested in the shirts, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash shirts. Also, if you want to have us throw out the Haven Lifeline to you, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail or go to the Stacking Benjamins site and just uh, click on questions for the show. We also get letters, and uh, Doug just brought down the mail, OG, and he's got this letter coming to us from Ryan. Ryan says, hey, Joe and OG, I'm a longtime fan, reaching out for some advice. My dad's recently asked me to help him manage my parents' finances. They're 59 and 54 years old, as they've recently decided to leave the financial advisor they've been working with. While I'm happy to help, I am, one, inexperienced, 24-year-old corporate financial analyst, and two, far away. I'm located in Boston. They're relocating from Syracuse, New York to Austin, Texas this fall. I think I'm capable of helping, and I know my dad wants to try to do it on his own slash with my help, but wouldn't it be better to get them hooked up with a professional or potentially even gulp OG? (laughs) Any thoughts on this would certainly help. Thanks so much for your time and all of your non-teaching, Ryan. Good good stuff there about uh, helping your parents with their money. Well, at the risk of self-promotion, um... (laughs) No, I do think, why why would you not have a professional do it? It's like, no offense, 24 years old, right? I I know a little bit more than I did when I was 24. You'll know a little bit more than you do uh, at 24 when you're a little bit older too. You must have a pretty good head on your shoulders if the old man is saying, hey, son, take this over. Make sure you don't screw it up. Right, because when I started working with my parents as their financial planner, I had to let them go. I had to help them find somebody else because my dad wouldn't listen to me. Well, yeah, there is that risk, right? There's the risk of, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think, where I was talking about one of my uncles who said, you know, the fact is, is that I remember you in diapers and I changed your diaper one day. So it doesn't matter how smart or old you get. Yeah. <laughs> you're still, you're still my little uh, godson that. Uh, there is a power there. Even if it's not, even if it's not a financial planner, there's a power in having somebody who's a coach on your team that you don't know and you don't have a, a different relationship. A third party perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Unattached, emotionally unattached to the outcome. Yeah. I would respectfully decline this opportunity. And maybe the best help that you can do is to help them find somebody that can help them. That was you know, going to be, that, help. that was going to be my suggestion, especially if, it, think, especially if Ryan does, Attico, dude. we must be something in the coffee today. Cause this crap never happens. <laughs> but I think that, uh, especially the part that bothers me is Ryan saying, I'm kind of an experience. I think I'm a little young. It's a little, this little tough, help them find somebody. And even if the financial advisor is okay with this, and we, I had this happen before, I had clients that would bring their older parents to the meeting and would sit with them at the meeting with me. Um, I had that happen with a few different relationships. Now, some financial advisors don't want to do that. For me, I, I was more than I, happy. I, I, I like it. I mean, the money's going to go to the kids eventually anyway, right? So I might lo- as well be a part of it. I love having everybody on the same page. It's yeah, so absolutely powerful. Thanks. Austin's a beautiful city, so enjoy. Except in July. It's a little steamy from late June till uh, mid-September. But the rest of the year, Austin kicks ass, man. It's it's now my favorite city in the United States. Uh, I just absolutely Next love it. Next to Texarkana, you mean. No, of co- I'm sorry. Second, second. Thanks for the question, Ryan. If you've got a question and uh, you'd like us to answer it, guess what? You can write us a letter, joe at stackybedjamins.com. The better way to go is the Haven Lifeline, because not only is that a shorter queue, but also you get the free, you get the cool- uh, Free swag. Yeah, Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. So uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail for that. Thanks to everybody also who's left a review of the show, either on Stitcher or on 
wherever you listen to the show, iTunes, doesn't matter. If you've left a review, you told a friend about us, thank you so much for doing that. That helps people understand that they're getting into something a little different when they listen to the Stacking Benjamin Show and also helps us grow our audience. Thanks a ton. Also, if you are somebody like Ryan, who's thinking about maybe sending your parents to a good financial planner, guess what OG is taking clients, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. And following that link is the way to get on his schedule to talk about what it would take to get him in your corner. Coming up on Wednesday, we're answering your letters. Our favorite time is answering your letters. And I'm so excited that we get to do it on Wednesday. Getting a little behind, OG. Not as far behind as we got all spring, but uh, time for us to stay on top of that mailbag. And we've got some great, great questions. So we'll be answering those Wednesday. And those are always popular shows. So we'll catch everybody back here on Wednesday. Go stack some Benjamins. All right, Doug, you got it from here. Yeah, sure thing, Joe. Why don't you and OG get back to figuring out if the Rogaine is working? I'll tell everybody what we were supposed to learn today. First, take some inspiration from our special guest today, Kim Anderson. It's okay to not go after the goals you think everyone else wants you to pursue as long as you keep moving. Lay out your game plan, work it hard, and keep on living. Second, are you hoping to become wealthy? While there are a lot of skills you need to acquire, the first is having a positive state of mind and believing that you deserve it. But the big lesson, don't let Joe's mom operate the margarita mixer. That woman has a one-for-you, two-for-her kind of attitude. A big thank you to Kim Anderson for stopping by the basement. You'll find out more about her book, Live, Save, Spend, Repeat, at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. So over the weekend, your kids went camping. Indeed. Mrs. OG took them. She thought it would be a great idea. That's that's nice. That's good. How come you didn't go? One of us had to stay with the baby. And I did it last year. And my after-school activity makes me really tired on Saturdays. So the idea of being up and outside at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning well, because after being out all night Friday with my after school activity. Are you, are you are you trying to say that all that time dancing on a pole Friday night gets in the way of your Saturday mornings? It's not so much on a pole because that I would be able to support myself a little bit. Um, By support yourself, you mean you hang on to the pole? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's the fact that it's the nursing home, and it's just you know. Which is actually a good thing because usually shows wrap up around 4.30 right after supper. <laughs> it's tough being the floor. Right before bingo. But it's bad. It's bad that you're the lead into bingo. That, you, that you're not like... That's the, on the opening act. 
you're not even the main event at the nursing home. <laughs> I'm the thing that's going on when everybody's filing into the bingo hall. <laughs> can we get rid of this guy so I can play some bingo? Put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, but camping. I'm sorry, camping. No, that's all right. Yeah, so uh, I used to do a lot of camping when I was younger. Um, I used to backpack a lot when I was in high school and college. I loved it, and and uh, my military service got me out in the woods quite a bit. You did some and camping so I've done there? an entire lifetime worth of outdoor activities, and I crunched it all into it's about six years. So I don't have a strong desire to do that. Sometimes I think like staying at a Sheridan instead of a Weston is kind of like camping. And that's about as camping as I want to get. <laughs> you can't be laughing at that. That's funny. Could, I'm, I'm just imagining you putting like a tent over the bed, like at the Sheridan. Like like somebody well, goes. No, the bed's like sleeping on the ground. What I was getting at is that at, the, at, at a Sheridan, it's just, yeah. you might as well be outside. Wow. Yeah, but you can't do that because then they won't, uh, they, they won't sponsor the show. That's okay. Nobody listens to this part anyway. That, that, that's true. So yeah, so so the yeah the kids had fun. They went swimming and fishing and you know. But my son uh, told my wife <laughs> that he would rather be in his bedroom, even without the air conditioning in our house, than to be outside because it was like eighty nine degrees last night. Oh, you know, I can't. Oh, like, yeah, it's-, yeah, it's pretty chilly inside here. I looked outside earlier today, sweetheart. It looked hot. We did the opposite. When when my kids were growing up, uh, I'd go on the Cub Scout campouts with Nick, and their campout was always at the end of March in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And every stinking year it would snow, right? Yeah. And so the first year I was stupid, and I didn't really bring anything. I brought a few of those little things that you crack, and then it, it, it you put them in your socks and in your, you know, the mm-hmm. hand warmer, foot warmer things. And that would last, what, like an hour? And yeah, then, but you're still awake the whole time because now your feet are sweating. Yeah. You go from, you go from way too cold to just absolutely sweating. And then you're free. And then you get cold again. And then you're freezing again. So so the next year I researched and I found these heaters that, uh, as long as you didn't knock the heater over, which I was always still afraid of, but if you didn't knock the heater over, it was fine to use in a tent. Like you weren't going to asphyxiate your family and die. So, so I, important step of the, yeah. Yeah. So I get this heater and it's funny, my, my buddy, he goes in the next tent with, he had twins and, and uh, uh, twin sons. And so the three of them are in their tent. And he said, and of course, the second year, it gets to like 35 degrees again. And it's, and all he's got is the same crap he had the year before. Like I learned and he didn't learn. Mm-hmm. So the, the next, the next year, the next morning I unzip my tent and there's like almost a foot of snow. And, and he said, uh, he goes, Joe, I got to tell you about at one thirty in the morning when I hear the click, click, click. Click, click, click of me like firing up the heater. I realized what it what it felt like to seriously contemplate murder. <laughs> it's just gonna take you out oh, and yeah. steal the heater. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's uh we're gonna do in a couple of summers, not next summer, the summer after, we're gonna I, I wanna rent a um an R V and go do all the national parks on the west side of the country. And kind of like the over the course of a couple of weeks or whatever, to kind of drive it. Seems uh that seems super fun, but, but like, I'll still stay in the RV. I'm not gonna. Yeah. You know. It reminds me of that Jim Gaffigan bit about the plane. Right. Did you ever see that one? I don't remember that one. Watches. I have another friend who has five cars. Whenever I'm with these people, I realize I'm just simple. All I need is a nice bed and a private jet. Yeah. You know? Now I have the bed. All I need is the jet and it could be a used jet. I'm not a snob, you know? I mean, I don't want a prop plane. I'm not trash. Just a regular old private jet to take a regular old guy to a regular old private island away from his kids. That's all you need. That's it. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Yeah, good stuff. All right, man. Now we see how you roll. Salt of the earth. It's me. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, 
and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.